0: Uh, pray for us, and we will dig into our our text tonight. Let's pray, dear Heavenly Father. Um, gosh, I am just so grateful for these students that brave the cold and um, are here, even when there's a basketball game happening a few miles away. And thank you that they came to meet with you. They want to they want to know if you are real, if you are true. If you have power for their lives here and now in the year 2022. And so I pray that, Lord, you would help me get out of the way so that these students might see Jesus, that they might behold him, that they might be changed by his love for them by faith. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, so like I said, all semester we're going through this, this series called Relationships Reimagined. Uh, it's kind of like our effort to dive into the implications of, of what believing the gospel of Jesus Christ does for your life and, and does for your relationships in particular. Uh, if this is your first week with us, the first two weeks we looked at um, two things. We looked at your relationships, they're good, they're beautiful. You were made for relationships with each other. Last week we, we kind of looked at what's broken about your relationships. Why are they hard? Why are they exhausting? why they cause tears and frustration. Um, and so I think kind of before we pivot into more specific topics, uh, I thought it was appropriate that we kind of begin with our relationship with ourselves, right? Before we can get to like how we relate to other people, how we relate to the world, we should probably kind of spend some time thinking about, well, how is it I actually relate to myself? I don't even think that was a category I had in college. Um, that I was in a relationship with myself to some degree, I'm going to be honest with you guys right from, the, right from the start, right from the get-go, is uh, I often feel insecure standing up here preaching, I, I kind of highlighted that last week, um, right, but especially when we talk about emotions, especially when we talk about like the emotions you feel day in and day out, uh, because If you've been in a relationship with me for any amount of time, uh, you will soon see that I am the equivalent to like an emotional kindergartner. (laughs) Uh, Everything we're about to talk about tonight, right, like I am no expert in, I have not conquered. I'm like, hoorah, this is the three-step program, now fix your life. I am still learning and growing in these areas. And so (laughs) getting out of the way from the get-go, don't let Robert Canoose emotional immaturity blind you to the wisdom found in Psalm 42. And so let's dive into the text. Did you notice in 11 verses, I guess it's all right up there, in 11 verses, how many times the psalmist asks himself a question? This is great. It forces you to look at the text. Anybody got it? Eight times. Eight times. Unless I'm wrong. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. He observes something he's feeling and stops eight different times to ask about it. Like take verse two, for example. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? And so like we're going to unpack all these layers here in a second. But what I want you to see right from the get-go is that like there's this dialogue taking place in the text. Right? It's going back and forth, and it's happening within one person. In other words, like, Psalm 42 presents itself as a scene in a movie with two different characters. And you have to hear from both characters if you're going to understand what's happening in the movie. But, like, our problem, our problem is that we oftentimes only hear from one character. Like, we don't know and oftentimes don't want to know this other character in the movie. In fact, I want to argue that like, we'll actually do anything, anything to avoid this character in the movie. There was a study done at the University of Virginia. I think this was back in 2014. And they took volunteers from the community, mostly undergraduate students, and they took away all their belongings, put them in kind of like a sparsely filled room, and just said, hey, we want you to hang out by yourself for 15 minutes. Uh, there was one caveat, though. They also gave these volunteers a button where if they pressed it, they would shock themselves. And uh, (laughs) everybody agreed beforehand, right, because they didn't know what the study was, they agreed that they would pay money to not be shocked. And yet, you wanna know what happened? It It was fascinating, startling. Three out of every four, no, it was two out of every three guys so like 66, 67 percent of guys shocked themselves. One out of every four women did the same. One guy supposedly shocked himself like 190-something times. <laughs> <laughs> like like, we should pray for him. Um, right? like, but, but here's the thing, guys, here's the thing. We hate being with ourselves. So much that many of you would rather inflict pain upon yourself than be with your thoughts. Friends, why, why, why do you hate yourself? So, use my movie analogy, like what's wrong in this scene? Why does one of the characters hate another one of the characters? But I think maybe even more of the practical question for us tonight is, is like what can be done about this this scene. I think the stereotypical religious answer might, you know, be to cut off your emotions because it's not an emotion thing. It's a spiritual thing, right? Like the problem is you just need to, you just need to pray more. You just need to go to church. You need to read your Bible. You know, if your emotion isn't joy, y'all seen the movie Inside Out, right? Like if your movie isn't, if your emotion isn't joy, then there's something wrong with you. Right, it's a problem. Don't pay attention to it. Stuff it somewhere, and it'll be fine. Whereas, I think maybe the stereotypical secular answer might be to to follow your emotions. Right. The problem is, you just need to get more in touch with them. So you you know find a safe place to feel what you're feeling and be affirmed in it. Emotions are uniquely you, and you need to do whatever it takes to express them. So it might not surprise you to hear that. I, I think both these kind of responses aren't hope-filled. They, they, they don't actually offer real solutions and real answers for you and your relationship with yourself. And I think Psalm 42 puts forward a third way. This way says, listen to your emotions. They're real. They're important. They're valuable. But question them. Because you can't trust them. Ultimately, listen Question, but then surrender. Surrender your emotions. So those are our three points tonight. Listen to them, question them, and surrender them. I can't think of a more explicit picture to, like, listening to your emotions than in verse 3. Verse 3 says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? The psalmist is clearly, like, in such extreme anguish that, like, all he can do is cry. He's crying so much that, like, as his tears are running down his cheek, he finds himself, like, eating them. Have y'all ever had, like, one of those, like, ugly cries where you're just, like, (sighs) like, you're just eating your tears? Just me. Okay. Um, Right. But not only that, it's kind of this picture of his tears mocking him. They cry out, where is your God? Like, translation, if God was real and present, you wouldn't be feeling this way. Ooh, boy, has anybody ever felt that way? I know I have. But, but let's continue. Uh, verse, verse four. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So if this is a movie, right, like, Verse 4 is a flashback. So, flashback. Verse 3 is, is kind of how he's currently feeling. And verse 4 shows us a contrast. He hasn't always felt this way. He hasn't always kind of been sobbing, right, with tears running down his cheeks. Uh, whereas now, his tears indicate God's absence, his perceived absence. Previously, his glad shouts and songs of praise are a remembrance of God's nearness and goodness. And so I'm going to leave the question to you guys. So which which is it? it seems pretty like conflicting to me. You know, is, the, is the Bible contradicting itself? What's going on? It's it's confusing. But I think the reality is, I don't even think the psalmist knows. All right, he's stu- He's stuck in this place of confusion. His emotions are like this complex web, and he doesn't know what to do with them. He doesn't know how he feels about God, his life, and especially himself. I don't know about you, y'all, but, like, I hate being confused. I hate it. Y'all look at me like, I go to Michigan. I'm never confused. Um, Like, this is why I never ask you guys to explain organic chemistry to me. If we hang out one-on-one, we're grabbing lunch, I will never ask you about organic chemistry. I hate hate being confused. Like, still to this day, Sudoku puzzles are, like, a full-blown anxiety attack uh, just ready to take me down but like seriously what do you do with all your different feelings what do you do when you're confused about how you're feeling like I don't care if you're the most stoic person on earth as someone made in God's image you have emotions like lots of them and you do something with them every single day, you, you do. I mean, I'm gonna suggest that you actually do one of three things. Option number one, uh, you bury them, right? Classic, you know, stuff it down, pretend they're not there, it's gonna ultimately go away. You just got dumped, well, like, don't talk about it, don't acknowledge it, just move on, right? And some of you, if, if you're like me and you've been doing this for years, like, you don't even know what you're feeling anymore. Like, you don't have the words to describe it. Um, sometimes I like to think of emotions as, like, music notes. Uh, I actually did this with some friends last week. Might have been some of you guys. But, like, I walked into somebody's house and, uh, and asked them how they were doing. You know, and they, they give me, like, the classic, oh, I'm fine, I'm good, whatever. And I was like, no, like, how are you doing? Give me a sound effect of how you're doing. And uh, And for some reason, nobody actually ever does that. <laughs> But, but here's my point, right, like, is I, I think if some of you guys were to make that sound effect of, of how you're feeling, it would be, like, the super complex piece of, of like, Beethoven with, with lots of notes to it, and you could pinpoint, like, the C sharp compared to, like, the, the, the flat. Sorry, y'all, I don't have any music. <laughs> kind of, if that sounds ignorant, it is. Um, but, like, the point is, you could, you could catch what was off-tune about these different kind of emotional swings you have because you're that in tune with things. Um, Whereas, you know, some of you guys are like me and you maybe have like three notes and so somebody asks you how you're doing, you're like, uh, uh," you know. you, You don't really, you can't really make sense of it. It's just there. True story, when my pastor met with me for the first time two and a half years ago, he slid this thing across the table and it was an emotional wheel. And he said, hey, I I want you to highlight your top three emotions for me right now. And I proceeded to make fun of him and to make fun of this thing. And you you, want to know why? Is I had no freaking clue what I was feeling. It was confusing, and, and I hate being confused. And maybe that's how some of you feel tonight, right? You don't know how you're feeling. You're looking at me like emotions. Please stop talking. Others of you take option two, and you do and you do your emotions. Uh, it's this distinction, John Cox, who's a clinical uh, psychiatrist in Jackson, Mississippi, is this distinction that he makes between feeling your emotions and doing your emotions. Uh, th- let me give you an illustration to flesh out what I mean by this is, guys, let's say, you know, you take this girl out on a date, like a real date, like you man up enough and you call it that, and you pick her up. Y'all go get some Frida Baditos, you know, and some Blank Slate afterwards. It's awesome. You have a blast. So you're, you know, dropping her back off at her apartment and, and you feel in your soul like this bursting, radiant, like amazing emotion. So response number one is, you know, you tell her how much fun you had on this date you'd like to do it again, and you get back in your car and you kind of smile the whole way home, jam out to Dua Lipa, and you have this excitement and elation. Response two to this emotion would be to blurt out as she's walking in the door, I love you! (laughs) One of these responses is feeling your emotions. Another one is doing them. A less fun example of this is when you're at home and you see on Instagram that that all your friends went to Frida Baditos without you, and they they upload this picture, and they even included the hashtag besties. Response one, you feel sad. You feel excluded. You feel hurt. It's like a yucky feeling. And, And it stays with you, right? Response two is you get a text from one of those friends wanting to grab coffee and and you ghost them. You throw a pity party, you rage, you play the victim. And when that friend double texts you like the next week to ask what's wrong, you say nothing. One is feeling your emotions. The other is doing your emotions. Y'all see the difference? And the reason, like, this is important is because when you react, when you do your emotions, that's actually you refusing to feel what you most deeply feel. You're doing your feelings so that you don't have to feel your feelings. So that's option two. Option three is by far the most popular, right? You numb your emotions. You know what I'm talking about, right, guys? Like... I don't want to feel what I'm feeling, so I'm just going to knock back 13 bush lights. I'm going to watch every single episode to only murders in the building, like, right now. I'm going to cut myself this morning and tonight. But, like, these can also be good things. I'm going to study all day for that exam I have in three weeks. I'm going to, you know, go to, like, another Bible study and spend my my night talking about, like, the most nuanced theology. Right? There's there's a bazillion ways to do this. My point, we we all have these different strategies to avoid feeling the wide range of confusing emotions at any given time. Why? (laughs) Okay, so, like, why do we do this? Like, why are we ninjas at avoiding how we're actually feeling because it's painful (laughs) y'all I hate to be captain obvious right but like it's hard it's excruciating to feel what you're actually feeling is to get in touch with the reality is to get in touch with grief sorrow and and like the deep wounds of our hearts like no wonder beer video games and like extreme busyness sounds so appealing to us um, they're easier. You can't just say, like, how does that work out for you? Like, there is no full and rich life without being forced to listen to your emotions. And that's point one. Now, now turning to verse five and point two, the psalmist shows, it shows us that, like, it's not enough to just listen to our emotions, right? But, like, we're called to question our emotions. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Right, like our psalmist encounters the conflicting, confusing emotions he's experiencing in verses 3 and 4. But unlike the popular secular approach, he doesn't let them dominate him. He can simultaneously feel his feelings at a deep, deep level. But he also has the capacity to, like, get outside of himself and analyze how he's feeling. Why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil within me? Why? 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 Y'all remember, like, Star Wars when um, Obi-Wan says to Luke, Luke, trust your feelings. Well, Obi-Wan was wrong. That's because your emotions lie to you. Have you ever heard of like false guilt? Like it's, it's when you feel guilty for something like you're not actually guilty for. And Unfortunately, like the clearest example I can think of is, is a woman who's sexually assaulted who somehow feels guilty like it's her fault. And it's absolutely devastating. Absolutely untrue, false guilt. But like the flip side of that coin is also true. Like you can be up to your eyeballs in guilt. You can be up to your eyeballs in sin and not feel any shred of it. Right? This is the sociopath who can murder someone and go eat like a steak dinner an hour later. Point being, like, you can't let your emotions determine what is ultimately true. You just you just can't. And there's a way I, I think I see Christians actually doing this all the time as well. Uh, I think is actually pretty dangerous. Here's an example of what I'm talking about is, uh, let's say you go to like some awesome conference, like Passion, or you go on a mission trip, or camp, you know, in the summer or something, and you're working on staff, and like you have this magical experience. It is, it's magical. You get totally on fire for Jesus. You, you know, you start wearing Chacos. You say <laughs> stuff like blessed all the time. You eat more Chick-fil-A. I don't know. And then you come back to Ann Arbor and you attend class for three days. And like, all of a sudden you just don't feel, like you don't feel on fire for Jesus anymore. Like old sins start popping back up and you wonder like, what is wrong with you? Why the you from, you know, that one weekend or the you from this past summer is gone. You don't have all the feels like you once did. All the zeal and all the passion is gone, and now you just feel like you're letting God down. Like anybody was this like was this just me in college? When I finally found out like this was just a souped up like Christianized version of emotionalism, like it it was the most freeing thing ever. Do you know why? Like it meant the gospel. It meant that God's love for you in Jesus Christ could be true and have implications for my life, no matter like what I was feeling in that moment. And like, isn't that what the psalmist is doing? Look at the latter part of verse five. My soul is downcast within me. I think if this were us, I would expect the next line to read, you know, or or be something like, so I don't know if I'm a Christian anymore. Or something like, God can't be real, right? My soul is downcast within me. I would think it would say, so God isn't real or something. But what does it say? Right? He says, therefore, I remember you. It's this idea of being communicated that, that says that you have to get outside of your emotions in order to question them. You need to be able to see the wounds in your heart that your emotions are revealing if you're ever going to find healing. And the only way you see these wounds if, is, is if you question your emotions. Yet we know, like, from experience, right, that, like, simply listening and questioning aren't enough to actually heal us. It's why we still hate ourselves, even if we do those things. Um, yeah. Which, which leads us to, to point three, and the most important point, which is surrendering our emotions. And so I, I want to clue you into something about this psalm. Might be kind of obvious, but like this isn't his diary. This is not a blog post. This is not him uh, like feeling things in a vacuum. Like this is a psalm, which means it was sung. And maybe even more bewildering, like he's singing the psalm in the presence of others, in the presence of God's people on the Sabbath day. But not only is he singing, this psalm in the presence of others, he's singing the psalm in the presence of God himself. He's surrendering how he's feeling with all the confusion and the pain to, to God Almighty. Like, another way of putting this is, is he's becoming weak. Right? Which is the great paradox of Christianity. It's, it's why, like, Christianity doesn't make sense to the world. It's why it doesn't make sense to the University of Michigan. You would think, like, the recipe to a healthy relationship with yourself would be something like getting in touch with your emotions and then, like, out of strength, figuring out how to, how to fix them. Here's the problem with that. Is that Dan Allender notes, he's a counselor out in Seattle, Washington. This is what he says. He says, quote, We are not machines that are repaired through steps. We are relational beings that are transformed through relationships with others and, and God. Don't you see? Don't you see that like you're not a machine that can be repaired over time. Autonomy is the greatest lie to healing that this world, I think, hears. It's all over the campus of the University of Michigan, right? You can be freed from xyz you know doctrine or system or religion or whatever you can be freed to be you right and like disclaimer 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 of course there are very toxic and terrible systems that people need to be freed from that's not my point that's not what i'm trying to say what i'm trying to say is a message of autonomy not dependence and not neediness in a relationship is is a lie like, the way to ultimate healing in relationship with yourself is through weakness, is through dependence. And the extent to which you can experience this neediness and and dependency, the extent to which you can experience this weakness in a relationship, is the extent to which you actually like feel a nearness to God. It's in weakness that you f- that you feel God's presence. Look, there's this passage in in Luke 17 where Jesus heals 10 lepers. If maybe you've grown up in the church, you're familiar with it. And I like to think if you found those 10 lepers later that evening and you said, hey, do you know Jesus? Nine of those lepers would go, leopards, (laughs) lepers. Nine of those lepers would say, Jesus, he's incredible. He cured me of my leprosy. It's incredible. Love Jesus. One of them would say, I am so thankful for my leprosy. I got to meet Jesus. See the difference? Right? The the point of your emotions and trying to make sense of them, relating to yourself, like all of it is a means, not an end. The end is that you might hear God's heart beating for you that you might know him in relationship and that you might worship him. I mentioned John Cox earlier. I'm a big fan. Uh, he says this about emotions. He says, he says, gratitude and sadness are the holiest emotions we have. Gratitude and sadness are the holiest emotions we have. You want to know why? It's because both of these emotions are experienced when you've relinquished control. They are emotions that lead you to sit in the presence of God and you realize that I actually have to trust him. And you can trust him because Isaiah 53 describes this servant, this servant of God who, who is to come and suffer. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says that this servant was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. No one knows your sadness like Jesus Christ. No one feels more deeply the pit of hate that you have for yourself than King Jesus. No one understands the frustrating, confusing, complex web of emotions that you experience than the savior of souls. Princeton theologian B.B. Warfield has this to say about why Jesus was able to know such deep sadness. He says that it's because compassion is the first and most prominent emotion of Jesus. He says, quote, the sight of suffering drew tears from his eyes. Obstinate unbelief convulsed him with uncontrollable grief. End quote. Like Jesus, Emmanuel. Right? We, we sing that song at Christmas time. Emmanuel. Oh come, oh come. The God who is with us, He has compassion for you tonight, friend. does and and like that's the great mystery It's it's this compassion this nearness of God to you by faith like somehow has the power to change your insides when you bring all of you when you bring all of you to Jesus and allow yourself to feel his compassion for you like I promise you actually might start having grace for yourself Heck, you actually might start liking yourself. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you.